What's up? Welcome to a new episode of Movie Schmovie, the podcast. Um, <laughs> that's that's optimism for all the other branding that we'll do in the future with this. Right. Yeah. Um, in case anyone gets confused, like one day we make sweatshirts or yeah. something, right. and they hear you say that, and they're like, "Does he mean my sweatshirt? Is this what my is he sweatshirt talking about? Is it yeah. talking? Let's go. Oh, the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Put that on the list, though. We need to <laughs> sweatshirts. We need to deal with this. Mark it down. Off Mike, we'll talk about yeah. sweatshirts. Yeah. Uh, episode two seventy one. Brand new episode. Um, as promised, we're keeping the weekly thing going. And um, I think we have a pretty good amount to talk about today. I didn't know a lot of, I didn't know if there would be a lot this week because I know next week is going to be a big week for us. But um, mm-hmm. but there is. There's quite a bit to talk about. We're going to talk about some news. We're going to talk about some Fargo. We're going to talk yes. about some Lovecraft Country. Yeah, we're going to catch up on that now that everyone out there has gotten a chance to see it. Yeah, yep. And uh, what else? Is that, is that right or what else? Monsterland. 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 Yeah, we can finally talk about that more. Hopefully you listened to last week's episode <clears throat> for our interview with Jonathan Tucker, um, one of the stars of the, the, the premiere episode of that season or that series. Close personal friend, yeah. Jonathan Tucker. I, I've always wanted to say this books. about him. Um, we've said it about other people that we know personally that live near us, but mm. friend of the pod. Friend of the pod. Uh, friend of the pod, yes. Jonathan Tucker. John. Oh, boy. Yeah. Um, which was a really good You know, time. we should do a video release of this episode just so people can see our eyes light up <laughs> yeah. when we realize that we call Jonathan Tucker a friend uh, of the pod. Friend of the... We, sh- we should send a note to his publicist to make sure that's okay, yeah. you know? <laughs> what if she's like, can you call him an acquaintance of the pod? <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to take this slow, see how things go. Yeah. Right, right. But uh but yeah, that 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 was last week's episode. If you didn't hear that, check it out. I mean, you can listen to us talk about Monsterland today if you like, but it's out today on Hulu if you're interested. Um and I think that's it. I've seen a couple other things I'm going to mention like when we do our little round robin at the end, but mm. I think that that'll be the guts of the of the show, but um where do you want to start with some news items? Anybody have anything they just can't wait? I would like to start by telling people who we are. I, you know, overrated. 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 No, but I, like, I like that. I like so that. So here's the news. I've got one news item. <laughs> my name is John. That's it. <laughs> Ronald, got any news? Yeah, my name is Ron. All right, Steve, got any news? It's the same shit, different day. I'm still Steve. <laughs> okay, see, there you go. <laughs> That, we just finished our our quickest news roundup yeah. ever. Oh my god, what a great efficient way to do that. Oh man. Um, but yeah, I don't know. There's been a couple interesting things. I mean, we have a couple more movies that we've kind of seen move to their, well, remove themselves from a theatrical release window. Like most recently today, I sent around the note that um, Greenland, the Gerard Butler like end of the world apocalypse action thriller. Um, that was, I think, supposed to come out by now. Um, it got taken off the calendar, and then now we we found out today yeah. that STX, which is the distribution arm of it, um, is releasing it through Amazon Prime, but not the subscription service. Right? It's 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 like it's like one. It's going to be on that platform where you can like buy or rent it. Like you can rent it for a window and then i think it becomes available like a few weeks later to purchase or something along those lines um which was a little confusing i tried to find a couple other articles about it because when i first read it even sharing it with you guys i definitely thought it was like a prime movie just much like you know they announced this week borat 2 is coming out on amazon prime before the election but you know that was a little clearer i think that it's going to be a part of prime 
like like the actual subscription that you most of us pay for. And um, Greenland, I think, was a little more a little more murky, or maybe a different model that they're trying. Um, but it does seem like it's going to be like a rental slash purchase type of model. What what do you guys think of that? Do you understand that any clearer than I do? I, I don't. Th- th- did that sound right? Uh, you know. This is a super interesting thing. I, I guess sometimes I, people don't think about this, but it but this these are just servers. These are just servers and a switch. And I think that this is one of those moves that sounds very. This may want to be one of the situations that is a little more last minute than any of the fake rollouts that people try to do, where it's like, oh, we've right. signed this person to this movie, and the movie comes out in you know five months. But this right. this feels a little more last minute. I, I don't know if the parameters were defined as as clearly as they should have been. I read the press release um, that you sent, and it was very vague. I, I don't. I mean, it sounds. Looking at it right now, it says it says it's available to buy on October thirteenth, and available to rent on October twenty seventh. So oh, so it's doing the opposite. It's going. Right, so it's going to a purchase model. Yeah, so I don't know what the price point is. I don't know. Um, that's interesting. Okay, so I thought I had it backwards, but yeah. So it's even still, it's not like a premium VOD. Like it, I don't. It doesn't even really show that it's on like other outlets, like on Fandango now or iTunes, things like that. Like it's not right. going the traditional rollout. It's. It does seem like some sort of exclusive things through amazon and then maybe on the 27th it's still only on amazon or maybe it goes wider i'm sure more will come out about it but that's that's the most recent big one that is gonna you know kind of has officially skipped the theatrical release and and just mentioned also borat 2 was announced that it's going to be coming out on amazon prime before election day too but i mean what's what's the what's the response what do we think i mean it's just another one or is there anything special about that one I mean, the, the the slight confusion about the the way it's being released, or what the what the price point is, or how you're going to be paying for it. It does seem to me like this is what we we saw the beginnings of, maybe, or the beginnings of this version of this wave of it with Mulan, with the idea that that you're paying for the service, and then there's a premium product on top of the service that you're paying right. for. Um, so, I mean, it, it's no surprise that other platforms would be trying that same model. Uh, I don't know that a Gerard Butler. Uh, isn't his career like direct to video basically? Yeah. I mean, in terms of like the sort of movies that he does, no offense, but like, well, I, I guess that's a little bit of a slam, but you know what I mean? Like, his movies are definitely the sort of he's in that kind of also ran alt uh, action guy category. So it doesn't, I don't know, this, this once again is not a movie that seems like it's the true test of, right? Okay, what happens when you take this surefire blockbuster and you release it this way? This also feels like a movie that might get more might get more hype and might get more visibility from the current kind of anemic uh, release schedule. Yeah. Right. Um, I guess my thinking is I-, I wish that it released on more things so we can kind of see where it goes just popularity wise. It seems like if a yeah. movie comes out straight to video or PVOD and it's fairly pr- it's priced lower than 20 it seems to do really well on iTunes. So if if it hits like a $15 mark and people feel like they're watching a movie that could have been in the theater, this could do really well. I don't know if just on Amazon would be a thing. I, I don't hear about too many people buying things exclusively on Amazon Prime right. as their, exactly. their main 
but but that's not. I mean, they could they could make it into a thing. I think that um, mm-hmm. if especially if these movies that come straight there are cheaper than twenty 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 five dollars, the sweet spot is like ten to fifteen dollars. If it does it, people may wind up doing it more. If they're like Borat, you know, is it Borat's going to prime or is it going to be sold like this one? I think that one is going. <clears throat> excuse me. I think that one's going to be included in the Amazon Prime streaming. Oh, that's uh, that's a that's a steal. Because <clears throat> I, I know they mentioned like it'd be available to the 240 million subscribers. Yeah. Prior so to election day, so I, that felt a little more. It's, it's almost like they want to make that available before election day as a kind of public service. Totally. Because yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I I can't help but think it's going to, uh, it's going to be. I mean, you know, Mike Pence has mentioned in the in the name of the movie, yeah. so it's it's um, it can't be. I don't know. It can't be a, a non politicized movie. But I'm I'm really interested to see what sort of, uh, you know, the kind of gotcha stuff gets so much harder once you're super famous and everybody knows who you are. But I think there are enough. Uh, let's just say ignorant people out there right now that I could imagine Sasha Baron Cohen uh, having fun and in, infiltrating some some more dangerous yeah. situations. So in, in a weird way, I saw that and I was like, I think I kind of need Borat right now. Like I kind of want to see. Yeah, I kind of want to see his his his, uh, his uh, whatever his attack looks like in the culture war that we're currently in the middle of. I'm, I'm kind of ready for for his unsubtle, uh, brutal. Yeah, humor. I mean, just think of it like this. The, the most uh least political dude that you can ever imagine in in the business that's the most likable human being in the world right now chose a side the rock just came out and chose joe biden I, if he's taking a stance the way that he did something's happening and i think the borat's right. amazon's way in a really cool <clears throat> way to, to to express how they feel about the situation yeah it's yeah. pretty cool what else? What else? What else? What oh, else? Uh, Lion King too. Oh yeah, Barry Jenkins. What the heck? Directing uh, a, a follow up to to the animated or the 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 John Favreau live action line live action <laughs> the John Favreau motion capture slash CGI. Yeah. Uh, That's hilarious. <laughs> photorealistic animation a remake of the traditional cell animation <clears throat> oh film, The Lion King. Now, what I was wondering is, is this story going to have anything to do with the with the Lion King sequels that they made that came straight to video? Is this brand new territory? I mean, obviously, for Jenkins to get involved, it's got to be something where he's got room to create. Um, I wonder, is, is this just a great way to make a big movie in this current climate where, you know, working with actors and working with sets and working with locations can be yeah, so difficult? Yeah, that's true. Maybe it's really appealing to someone like Barry Jenkins to think, oh, here's a big movie that we can yep. get made because uh, it's easy to lock it down, I think, when you're making yeah. an animated movie. Or it would be easier. Yeah, yeah for if, sure. <clears throat> but as far as what he has in store, I have no idea. Do you guys expect him to kind of do something that feels like a, a Barry Jenkins movie? Or do you feel like he's going to step into this template uh, of, of this this sort of blockbuster? No, nah, it's got to be. A, I mean, it's going to still need to be a blockbuster. I mean, I think what you would, I mean, at least my read on it is like, you know that it's going to be something that will hopefully allow a filmmaker to bring their 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 voice or like their style or you know his filmmaking approach to this property but it's a disney you know it's a disney sequel that apparently i think it's actually they said it's going to be more of a prequel to the lion king kind of exploring like the origins of mufasa and things like that so going the opposite way that the animated sequels did um but yeah, I mean, I just feel like, you know, it's it's not like it's, it's I don't even know a better example, but like, you know, any of the Disney stuff, like they're kind of unfortunately in some ways known 
for like, you know, kind of there's some oversight there. And it's not like it's Marvel where Feige is kind of like there's there's oversight there, but you can really feel those voices in some of these filmmakers that they select. Yeah. <clears throat> I hope that's the same for this. And I mean you gotta I don't know, at least I gotta believe that like there's something here or something of value that would, you know, Barry Jenkins would want to do this as like the next big thing he's doing. Yeah. Uh, I know he has an Amazon series coming out between like you know before this but uh i think about about the underground railroad but um this is like a pretty huge massive like follow-up to what his filmography has brought him to now um but yeah i don't know i i i I hope optimistically that you can tell in ways this is the barry jenkins film um but it's it's also going to be a sequel to the lion king so i mean there's i think reality and uh you know expectations should probably be kept in check for some massively different type of Disney live action film. But I don't know. What do you think, Ronald? If he touches the script, I'll, I'll love it. I mean, I, I think that he, he's really good at capturing emotion in a cool way. And I don't know if the original captured any sort of, I didn't feel it the way that I thought that I would. I mean, it was beautiful and you it had its moments. Love? Yeah. I couldn't feel the love that tonight. night. Yeah. That yeah. night. That night or any other night that I watched it. If only there was like a, a catchy <laughs> phrase that could express a kind of laissez-faire uh, philosophy about this situation. Let, let, let just move on. Kinda. Yeah. Something. No big deal. Um, yeah. So I'm hoping that he can muster up some some emotion in the in the script that was kind of devoid of uh, any emotion in the first one. So I don't know. Right. That's, that's my wish. Are, are CGI close-ups going to have the same impact? Because that's kind of his thing. He's yeah. like characters kind of looking in, you know, into the camera almost. Right. Are we going to get lions doing that? That would be so crazy. <laughs> what I want is a, I want I mean, this is not Barry Jenkins, but I want like a Spike Lee crane shot <laughs> for <laughs> Mufasa. Just a dolly shot? Dolly shot. You mean a dolly shot? Yeah. I would love that. <laughs> well, maybe if they ever make a pre-prequel yeah. to Lion King, they can tap Spike Lee. They could, We man. can finally see lines gliding towards the camera. <laughs> or or the third one is between the prequel and the, and the original, and it's called an in-betweenquel. Let's make this as confusing as possible. <laughs> you should probably copyright that before somebody can do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, jot that yeah. down. I'm adding that to the list uh, with right, the hoodie, right, with the sweatshirts. Yes, too. right under sweatshirts. <laughs> right, right under. Um, so yeah, that's um, a, that's some promising news, man. Yeah, no, it's awesome. Yeah, no, it's interesting news. I think we just have to get used to the fact that when these big projects have a name like that attached to them, it's not so strange. It's kind of like legitimate actors being attached to Marvel movies. Exactly. The first few times it happened, it was kind of weird, and but then it got to the point where, oh, Michelle Pfeiffer's doing one. You'd be like, oh, yeah, she's joining all these other big A-list directors or A-list actors being in this type of movie. I think Barry Jenkins now joins a pretty esteemed crowd of people who have done projects for either... Uh, the Marvel or the or the Star Wars or the pl- the, the straight Disney, right. you know, part of of the Disney Empire. So it's it's not surprising that Disney could get someone to to right. who normally does more indie fare to sign on to a big movie. But I still think we're you know I still get a little surprised when I see a name like his attached to this sort of thing. Um, but it's like you said, Steve. It's that that's because in your mind it makes you think, oh, this person's going to reinvent the the Disney movie. But it's like, no, there's no room within that machine to reinvent it. But he must have said something in the pitch or something in a meeting that made them think, 
um, you know, this is the guy we want. And I just can't imagine him signing on if he doesn't have some sort of creative oversight. I don't, I wouldn't want him to, you know, so that's, that's the main piece there is he must have an idea uh, to sign on. And it's important that, you know, filmmakers like him are, are invited into this thing, you know, this machine, whatever you want to call it, like, you know, to have an impact or to have a voice or to have a say in how a movie is made, you know, someone like Barry Jenkins, the kind of movies that he has made, the following that he has, you know, kind of captured. And I mean, you know, in, in, all, in, in reality, like you're talking like this is an Oscar winning filmmaker making the Lion King sequel. So that sentence sounds wild, but it's also like you just said, John, it's important because, you know, of who he is, of what Disney is, of what this movie could be for filmmakers like him in the future, you know, for black filmmakers, for just, you know, the idea that that is not going to shock you, that an independent filmmaker can get a job like this because of, you know, that the fact that they put out quality work time after time. And, you know, it's just like, it's just an important thing to see that, you know, it's not just uh, it's not just expectation. It's like you you want to kind of subvert that and say, "Wow, that does surprise me." Like they picked Barry Jenkins. Like but that's that's a great pick of anybody. Like why not Barry Jenkins? Yeah. Like you want to you want to see what he would do with that kind of budget, or at least speaking for myself, I want to see what he can do for that kind of budget and reach the audience that a movie of that level will reach that have never heard of Barry Jenkins. Yeah. Like that's a huge thing, and that that's what excites me. When you see people of his, like, you know, of that level of indie filmmaker or, you know, the writers, the directors, whoever it might be, when you start seeing them attach these big movies, it's just like, oh, well, this person's going to become a name that people just know. Like, not just people that love movies, but like people that just watch anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. that's that's what's exciting about it, I think. You guys ready to move on to our first uh, television show of the evening? This is kind of a TV centric yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. episode. Uh, so what, what's what's our what's our headliner? Fargo is that our is that our big ticket item this week? Maybe yeah, maybe because it's new and it's back. It's back yeah, after a long time away. It's back baby. Yeah, the fourth season. Um, I think that was two full years away, right? And because it was supposed to come back earlier in the yeah. year, uh, but before that, it took a it took at least a full year off in between. You know, years where it had seasons. Yeah. So I feel like this is a to me, it was kind of a glorious return. This story is set a little further back uh, than the other stories we've gotten. We've gotten two or three seasons that, within the season of Fargo, you you can you can tell how it links up to the previous ones. The first two seasons were more clearly linked, um, and the second was uh, uh, a season that that sort of detailed a story that was referred to in the first season. It was in the back story of one of the characters. Uh, then the third season was kind of related. Um, but not as directly, but it, it had a couple of nods yeah. to the world. And this one is set in the 50s, so it's not set in the present day or in the sort of 70s slash 80s of the second season. It it feels feels different, feels unique. Um, it almost feels like a more familiar type of story. It's the kind of a gangland war that we may have seen in other things, but it's got that Noah Hawley uh, slash Cohen D kind of vibe, and it's got a great cast. And I think after two episodes, which Hulu... Uh, um, well, FX aired on Sunday and then it was available on uh, Hulu the next day. I think you start to get a flavor for for what this season might be. But I think this early in a Fargo season, you never can tell. What did you guys think of uh, of what we saw so far of Fargo season four? World building is something that Fargo just has down in a way that um, is really, really cool. It's, it's, it's the idea that nothing on the screen is wasted. Everything's important. Everything moving. Everything everybody says. 
has context later down the line. Right. And right. I think that's it, that's it all a, matters. Yeah, it's a gift. It's a gift. It's a it feels like a puzzle or you know, something that you just have to figure out in a way that just feels refreshing. I just love I'm like, okay, this matters. I don't know what the fuck this means, but I'll try to remember it. And then when it pays off, it's like in the the, the characters that they've introduced up until this point, uh, Chris Rock stands out to me in uh, Jason Schwartzman. Uh, just two characters that just, I don't know, man, popping off the screen for me right now. And the inevitable clash that, that, that is going to happen that we see, we've seen in the, the, the trailers just is super promising. So overall, I'm excited, I guess, if that sums it up. And I guess I'll add some as you guys go, but what do you think? Yeah, totally, I totally agree. I mean, we, we, we always talk about this show on this podcast because we all love the show, and it, it is exciting to see it come back. And I love just the more, like, gangster mobster, like, vibe that this season has. Like, not that those don't have, like, the other seasons haven't had those tinges in it, but I, I love those kinds of movies. I love those kinds of TV shows. And like you said, John, like, that 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 Coen Brothers and what has come to be, what Noah Hawley's done with this series um, – just even his filmmaking approach, like, you know, is so slick and fun and it's it just moves at such a clip that you really like you said, you really want to pay attention, know that it all matters, but it's it's fun to go along on the ride and be just swept up into into it. Um, meeting so many people, so many characters so quickly, um, moving around in time so quickly, you know, in the first episode, kind of as the narration is kind of taking us through this history of the of the hands that are changing power or the power changing hands. It's just a really exciting show. And I mean, I think the way that the season's jumped off so far for me is super exciting. Like you said, Ronald, Chris Rock, Jason Schwartzman um, are definitely standouts. I, I really, I really love, I don't know the actor's name, but he plays Dr. Senator. Oh yeah. Um, I, he's Lee always Terman. so good in every, what's his name? Uh, I think it's Lee Terman. Glenn Terman. Glenn Terman. Glenn Terman. Glenn Terman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When, when, when he's like introducing him to the bank manager and, and he's like, oh, this is Dr. Senator. What kind of name is that? <laughs> and he says, my mama gave me this name. And he said, what's your mama's name, ma'am? Like that, <laughs> that line, that line read was so good. And it kind of just like sums up just how, how the flow, how the show flows and it's kind of fun, but it's kind of it feels kind of scary and risky almost at every turn. But there's just such a there's such a like a pulp vibe through the whole thing that you just can't help but almost like smile or laugh through some of the scenes, even if they're like bad scenes, like where bad things are happening. Well, I I, I totally agree, Steve. There's even a moment for, that we just got in the second episode that's a scene from the trailer that is it feels to me like one of those great iconic coen brothersy type scenes in that you you might have a character you're only going to see for one scene but they get kind of an iconic moment yeah. or they get a great line or they get their part of a really memorable exchange right that exchange about the rats oh my god hanging up in the in the slaughterhouse which was on the trailer but the, it plays out in this one episode and it's with glenn turman's character dr yeah. senator and and a character who i don't expect we'll ever see again but the guy was cast perfectly for this yeah, moment yeah, yeah and he's shot beautifully he's framed in this shot where the rats are hanging above the desk and he's got this crazy thing about that the rats are hanging there you know uh what is dr senator says you just like the smell and he says no they're here as a warning to the other rats um <laughs> and then he says i think you've overestimated the intelligence of your foe which is a great oh like twisted God, line because it could be him so commenting good. on how he now feels about the guy he just spoke to you know yeah. 
<clears throat> but it also is a lesson to anyone in the world of of the Coen Brothers, but especially the way that Noah Hawley has recast that or reimagined that world for television. It, it, you, no one's safe, and and people do pay for stupid decisions left and right. Yeah, and I would <clears throat> say the unpredictability of who's on the chopping block—not just where the story's going, but who's really going to be important by the time three, four, five, six, seven, eight. 10, I think, episodes in the season, by the time it gets to the end, somebody who we think is a background player now could be super important. And somebody yeah. who we think is major could die surprisingly in the next episode, right. you know? So it, true. that level of unpredictability reminds me of the Coen brothers, but it also is something this show has used really well in its, in its now, you know, four seasons, but in the prior three years, there's always been plot turns you couldn't, you couldn't have ever guessed were, were coming. Sure. I read this uh, early review of the show that said that uh, this that Fargo thinks it has something to say about race uh, as a concept and commentary, and I don't think that people understand that like just the presence of black people portrayed in ways that don't feel nuts or right. disproportionately stereotypical is a statement within itself. I don't. I don't. I think that there's a lot of. Uh, oversimplification of what that means. And, and I think that just Chris Rock being great, just Glenn Turman being great, the cast, his group around him, nothing about them is like exaggerated. They're just people in the world in a time that's absolutely terrible, obviously, right? Um, that's a statement. I don't know why that's, I don't know why that article, it's, it's almost like a fake wokeness that comes from like, non-black people writing about black people where they're like right. you you got some explaining to do random white person who is trying to <laughs> give people chances or or like wants to create right. space or say something or say something yeah. just saying I, I, I don't know so that bothered me a bit th th that's not the show i just mean some of the right, reaction right, right. that i've read and i think that what i'm saying right now is beautiful i don't know like i don't like i don't know how where it's gonna go but i just love the framing of all this stuff it's realistic it's like this i think people forget sometimes that italians had this place in the world at one point and to a lot of people still um and how it's not the same as you know blackness but there were some super similarities between the way people were treated back then. I mean, a lot of the places that would hang a sign that would say no blacks would also underneath that would say Italians yeah. or Irish or something like that as well. So I do think that, yeah, it is an interesting thing. But I like and Glenn Turman once again gets this great line when when he's walking away from a standoff with uh, with the Italian mob. He says, um, you know, don't forget you guys just got here, yeah. you know, to America. We The country was built on us, kind of, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, and that's something interesting because it's the flip of that seems to be happening on the organized crime scene in that the the Cannon family led by Chris Rock as a, as a sort of organized, like a, a in the traditional sense of a, like a mob crime family sense, you know, it's, it's a black family and it's coming up against an Italian family, which we saw in this brilliant kind of prologue. Oh my God. They got Amazing. power from the Irish family that got power from the, the Jewish family. And this practice they have of swapping the the, oh my God. the youngest child of the mob boss so that the other team kind of has the other the, the opposing side has some reason to fear you because they can you you can hurt them you know you've got one of theirs you can yeah. kill their kid right um, you see how that plan it's almost strange that they keep doing it because it doesn't seem like it ever works with any real consistency for anybody but if you accept that conceit I think that might be seen as kind of what's the inciting incident Fargo seasons usually have a death or a crazy bad decision 
vision in the opening episode or two that you can see, oh, this is that Cohenzian kind of human foible. This is that flaw, that that decision that affects that it's, it's going to spiral out yeah. and affect everybody. Yeah. I think that might be the conceit of this is that these these in this gangland war, the opposing sides have the system of, of swapping a kid. Um, and I don't, I mean, they didn't invent that concept for the show, but it feels like a very medieval thing, uh, to do, you know? Um, but outside of that, yeah, it's all about this. Like you said, Ronald, it's, it's, I think very refreshing to see black characters thrown into this world and they are up against racism in those moments and they are up against the, the, those problems in their era, but they're also operating on this level that I don't think I've seen in a lot of uh, mafia stories. You know, the the fact that it's got this kind of coolness factor to it. It reminds me actually of Lovecraft Country in a way, which is just there's a novelty to seeing black characters in this type of story, you know, at the center of it. And I think that's that's really cool. So whether it has something to say about race or not. It's still awesome to see all those great actors, uh, you know, getting a chance to be in a mob yeah. movie. What do you guys think about Jesse Buckley, um, who is in uh, the Netflix movie? Uh, thinking of I'm thinking of anything. Things. She just kind of came out of the blue, and I feel like I'm seeing her in everything now. Um, well, she's so perfect for this kind of Coenzy stuff. But uh, what what her character's up to? Yeah. I'm really mystified. so. I mean, this <laughs> it, she just covers the funerals. Is that a thing? I know there's I know there's some things to it, but she just goes to but that's her thing. I mean, I think that she is across the street from the funeral yeah. home, so she might have some connection with them. And now she's connected to Jason Schwartzman because of what happened between them. And so she went to that funeral. I, I mean, I do think she's got a kind of angel of death aspect to her. But whether whether Jason Schwartzman kind of unknowingly tripped over this psychopath when he made this deal with her in the first episode, or if, if she's been doing this all along, yeah. she, you know what I mean? It's hard to know how, how long she's been this angel of death in terms of being a nurse who, who, who kills patients. Um, did you know what I mean? Did she get started? I, well, you get what I'm saying? Yeah, like, it's not really yeah. clear. Just how, just how crazy, like, is this one of those situations, which I love in a story where a person sort of doesn't know they've just come into contact with a yeah. real piece of work, you know, a person who is totally, well, she unmanned. was in the funeral home when, um, at the beginning so i'm like is there a pattern is there a pattern to this well she's friends with the she's friends with the at least the dad the, the who runs parents, the funeral yeah. home and she lived she lives across the street so that was kind of you sort of felt like she had a reason to be there at that funeral and then later you begin to doubt yeah does she have a reason to be there or is she just this kind of morbid person who shows up yeah I love her, man. It's tough to she's know. She's good, her. man. She's really yeah, she's good. Great. She's amazing. She's amazing. She was. Uh, if you guys didn't see last year, there was a movie called Wild Rose. No, that no. she was in. That she's incredible in. It's so good. Definitely check that out. But um, yeah, it's awesome seeing in her, her in all these things. She was also in like a lot of the episodes of Chernobyl, and uh, that's what I first. Who saw. she in Chernobyl? And amazing. She's the uh, the. Um, the wife, uh, the, the 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 wife, yeah, Ignatenko's wife, yeah, the younger guy who's like she's pregnant. <laughs> Jesus, yeah. that's crazy. Yeah, uh, yeah. But yeah, she's she's amazing, and like, yeah. yeah, what you said about her in this series so far, like, she's definitely one of the more between her and the and the uh, the brother that just came back to town. Like, those characters are really kind of like yeah. wild card firecrackers. You just want to watch that. That actors are also really great in the few scenes that we've seen them in so far. But uh, yeah, just man, this show is so good. Yeah, the like, cast I can't is really wait good. to just watch this show. And the, the every week, the daughter too. Uh, the daughter, Chris Rock's daughter in that show. I'm, I'm just wondering her curiosity. No, not Chris Rock's daughter. You mean you mean uh, 
Andrew yeah. Burt's yes. daughter. I'm so sorry. Yeah, Andrew Burt's. Emery Crutchfield. Okay. But she's really good, and she's an interesting character because she seems to kind of represent this character who might have a life outside of whatever this this crazy story is, but that also might make her a good person to worry about, you know, as they rack up casualties. Uh, there's just nobody who feels safe. Yeah. Uh, if you li- if you start to like somebody in this world, you start to think, uh-oh, how are they going to be compromised or how are they going to be killed? Um, but yeah, the agent of chaos, uh, yeah. uh, Jesse Buckley's character is that kind of agent of chaos that they've they've continued to have that every season of the show has had some right, character right. who is a little bit like a, almost like a devil element, you know, someone who comes in and just around them things get complicated. And that's taken straight from the Coens, like uh, as far back as Raising Arizona, they had like the biker of yep. the apocalypse and, and No Country for Old Men, you know, famously Javier Bardem kind of gave... Uh, uh, a bit more of a focal point to that idea of this person is just evil. But we just got Timothy Oliphant showing up at the end of the most recent episode. So it's like, and he seems like a guy who's never going to play like a not intense <laughs> so uh, player. Intense. So Love it. Love it. Love it. But anyway, so yeah, it seems like this this season has a lot of those uh, those people who could be super violent, super effective. Um, and it is interesting, I think, that a, a good choice to have Jason Schwartzman at the head of this Italian crime family because he does feel soft and like he's trying to prove himself and like he's maybe not quite the man that that he would need to be for that. But um, I think that's that makes it interesting casting. And it's similar to Chris Rock, a guy who we think of as a comedian playing this sort of heavy role. Uh, thus far, I think he's a little bit outshone by the people around him, but yeah. I think that's this character. And I think that is part of the joy of seeing him in a scene with Glenn Turman is that Glenn Turman is kind of yeah. the... You know, so good. He's the guy who really gets to chew the dialogue. And Chris Rock is doing a great job, I think, of seeming like a guy who's, you know, thus far he's keeping his cards kind of close to his uh, his vest. But, um, yeah, I can't imagine he won't have some great stuff. And already the Cohen projects that it's reminding me of, like, I don't know if you guys got a strong um, uh, John Goodman and William Forsyth vibe out of the the prison escapees in the second episode. From from the way they escaped (laughs) to the way they showed up at someone's house late at night and were sitting at their table (laughs) eating. I love the way this show does little nods like. Like that right down to at the slaughterhouse we get to see the electric uh the sh- cattle prod brought, yeah. kill a cow and that's of course that's uh javier bardem's weapon of choice in no country of old men or a version of that so, so yeah it's so smart about the way that it tickles those little cohen references but it never is a one-to-one ratio it's always done interesting things with that and i would say this yeah. season might be shaping up to be like Miller's Crossing, um, in in the sense of the kind of gang land aspect of it, but I, I yeah, I just like you can't with any of the other seasons, you can't pin it one hundred percent to anything that the Coen Brothers came up with. It's, it's it's its own thing at this point, you know, and it's such a cool thing, it you is. know, down to the fact that I love that they have that this is based on a true story thing at the beginning of every episode. It's such a good yeah like joke. It's so not, uh, <laughs> but um, you know, that gives them license to kind of make it feel sort of true crimey, which I think is part of the randomness of the violence and who, who gets killed is it makes it feel more, more real. It does. I'm enjoying it. I'm glad we like, we all like it, man. I can't, I can't wait to see what's going to happen. Sure. It'd be nice if they let us watch advanced episodes of this one, but, uh, I, yeah, we're yeah. not in the Fargo loop. Come on. It. Come on. FX. <laughs> we love you guys. <laughs> Uh, so what else have we seen? Well, we just mentioned Lovecraft Country. Um, how do you guys feel about Lovecraft Country now that we have uh, we've seen a couple more episodes, but also now that you've gotten to see the world at large reacting to the episodes that we saw a couple months ago and didn't want to uh, didn't want to spoil for people? I feel like I'm watching Doctor Who mixed with True Blood, and it's like 
with with this care to it that's just so unreal, man. Like, I, I it bothers me that every episode I like more than the last. Like, I didn't, I'm like, how could how's this happening? It's just it keeps escalating and escalating for me. I'm I'm a fan. I just. I love where it's going. And I feel like everyone feels like an adventure. It's that's a connective tissue. But you can watch these most of the stories of these individually, and it feels like an anthology. It is so well done. I'm just kind of in love with it, man. Steve? Um I I gotta be honest. Like I kind of feel like I'm I'm going up and down on the show. Um Really? Yeah, I don't know. I feel like, and I think the biggest thing that kind of goes in and out of my mind is it. So what you just said is 100% correct. Like, I almost felt like if I was watching one thing, each episode as its own thing, I almost feel like I would like it more. Um, but I. Oh, if it would just. Yeah, I, yeah. I just feel like there's like so much happening that I think that it's almost like speeding through certain things that don't feel fully kind of like developed yet. And, um, mm. you know, that said, you know, kind of, we did the first five, I think, and now it's up to seven and, uh, we've been able to see episode eight. It's just, there's a lot of good stuff that happens in episode eight that kind of like corrects it for me. Mm-hmm. It kind of brings me back in a lot more than I was coming off of, you know, the last three or four episodes, but it's just, it's weird. Like, I don't know the best way to describe it. It's like. I've never, I never, I, I didn't expect to feel so conflicted on a show that seems like so perfectly catered to some of my tastes. And I just feel like some of it is just that it just feels a little too scattered for me. Mm. That like, you know, these bottle episodes where we basically are with a character for the entire episode, like you go away from the main story for virtually almost two full episodes. Yeah. You know, you may see some of the main characters in those episodes, but it really isn't directly pulling us into the main story. And then to come back, in this most recent one that we saw that comes out in a couple of days. And that episode really feels like it's trying to pull this stuff together and seeing some of those characters pop up for like a scene and just kind of, and that's kind of it. And that it just, that it, it's just not, it's not gelling as well as I hoped it would for me. Um, mm. um, specifically episode six, I thought was, well, actually six and seven as standalone episodes are, are really great. But I'm just more so speaking to like the full eight episode arc that we've been able to see so far. I just feel like there's a there's a few spots where like things that we were shown have been abandoned for like four or five episodes and then they pop up in episode eight and you're supposed to recall why that's important or like or, or you know, kind of where where it falls into play with with the story of the whole series, not just the individuals and um, I don't know. It's just weird. Like I feel like up every week, like when we watch it, because I've been watching it with Aaron again as it's been airing, and like I just kind of feel myself kind of going in and out of loving the show, and I think the and it's because I'm having like questions about how they're kind of threading the needle for the whole season, and I, I won't know that until we see the whole thing. So maybe I hopefully you know I end up coming out on this on the other end. But like you know I loved you know the whole like learning more about um was it was it Gia um Jamie Chung's character uh in yeah. episode 6 yeah. like yes. that was awesome like I love that as a, as that story and that kind of went into that nicely the way episode 5 ends um but and then you have another great episode right after that with Hippolyta and 
it's an amazing standalone episode, but I don't know where that episode put us, you know, for the whole season as a whole. Is that am I making sense at all? Yeah, yeah. No, I know what you're sense. saying. I think it's almost like a, a, a an HBO hallmark or this kind of prestige show hallmark to have a season that starts off, gets narrative threads going, then goes into world building for a few episodes. And then usually, honestly, eight, nine, ten, that's a very common thing. It happens even on like Better Call Saul, shows that have ten episode seasons. Right. It's that eighth episode of the season is when you get back around to like, oh, now I see what the the sequence of events that's gonna take us to some kind of a finale right. is. And that's what I now felt. that we've built this yeah, world. I did feel that. And I think that yeah. the, the, the difference is on a show like Better Call Saul, it is so linked that some people might say, Well, not enough different things are happening on <laughs> yeah. this show. Right, you know? right, right. Whereas this show does have so many different things. I think there is a a little bit of a tug of war for your attentions between the nearly anthology structure you mentioned Ronald which is a strength it, it is cool the way the show can do definitely, that and I think when definitely. we first talked about the first five episodes that was one of our things we pointed out that we liked was that each episode has its own feel kind of almost in terms of what subgenre of horror it was dealing with you know um, but I do think once you get three or four episodes not just one or two but three or four episodes out of the main thrust of the story like even though the fifth episode wasn't as much of a sidestep it dealt a lot with ruby's transformation um through the potion provided to her into a white woman and how she kind of like i was actually really interested in seeing the fallout of that situation directly from what her actions right. were at the end of the fifth episode because yeah. not necessarily because i wanted to see consequences for her but because i thought there would be some very direct internal consequences for that character of going so dark <clears throat> In fact, I saw people criticizing the show after that episode saying, because in that show there's a pretty brutal bit of revenge on someone for being, uh, you know, a sexual harasser, if not a, a, a potential rapist. We don't know how dark this character would go, but we know that he was a racist and a sexual harasser. And he, he gets a brutal comeuppance, which, again, I think that's what the show was trying to show us. But it was so dark and so brutal that I had to think there was going to be some after effect on that on that character. Uh, you know, after she dealt with that. And then the show, like, it sidestepped it to the point where you wonder, and now I'm wondering, are they ever going to pick that situation back up? Right. Because it seems like a situation that could go south for her in this really racist world that she lives in. Because she 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 did reveal her true identity, her true self, to this guy. Um, if what I'm talking about sounds confusing, if you've seen it, you know. If not, then watch the show. Um, <laughs> but I would say that, like, that's an example of where I think that structure bugs me, Steve. It's not so much that we'll spend two or three episodes away from major plot developments, because I think Game of Thrones would do that all the time like you, you would be really interested in a character and then you would not get them for two or three weeks you know that's just the structure they use but i'm more frustrated by the fact that it's hard to build up a sense of what am i looking forward to what right. what am i watching these characters right. for um i agree that the last couple episodes were such great standalones and particularly what hype what happened with uh hippolyta is like mind-bending cool sci-fi that uh is yeah. different from what was in the book but i'm glad they went in that direction i thought they were just going to go with time travel but what, what they went with was something far more interesting yeah. um the way that show brings modern things into this world of the past i just i'm i'm really taken with it i really love that character's arc what she discovers about herself in that episode and where she is at the end of that episode so yeah i think that not not following up on what you just did it's like it's an honored tradition of this sort of show but it it can be frustrating when a show is still for a show that's in its first season still just getting its feet in general sure um 
But uh, I do also agree that at the end of episode eight, you get a real palpable sense of that adventure feeling we had in the earlier episodes of the season. And it was yeah. right at the moment where I was thinking, oh, these characters, no, nobody's getting along. No one's on the same page. Everybody's mad at everybody. I want to see some I want to see these folks team up right, against something. Right, right. And at the end of episode eight, I'm like, I think I can see the storyline that's going to at least get us through the end of the season and might be a source of unity for the characters that we have, uh, particularly that last scene in episode eight was fucking awesome it was, it was so incredible yeah, was. i was ready to say goodbye to a certain character i actually thought holy shit they're pulling a ned stark on us um <laughs> i thought so too. I and like, I, oh, again God, i know i'm talking weird. about one that's coming out. i might have to edit around this a little because it's the, i'm talking about the one that is coming out yeah, in two days yeah, when people eight. hear this but i would say if anyone is starting to feel oh i'm getting i'm losing the thread of this show episode eight is going to bring you back in Agreed. and kind of it, it kind of gathers up all the narrative threads and shows you how important yeah. and connected they are all um, together but uh, yeah it's an interesting show that takes risks so on an episode to episode basis I could see it throwing people off just because it's doing that it's going there yeah yeah it's and that's that's kind of like what that that's kind of like the conflict that I'm feeling is that like I love the part of the show that is taking the risks and how different the show feels <clears throat> in so many ways and, you know, episode to episode, you do really kind of, like I said, we've all said, you really get this really interesting filmmaking, storytelling, character development for, like, these individual characters. And you've gotten this, like, unique flair over the episodes where, you know, certain episodes have felt more like a haunted house episode or, like, you know, a creature feature or an adventure or, you know, whatever it might be, <clears throat> body horror, things like that. But and that's like a cool showcase for for different flavors of genre, which this show has all over the place, which is amazing. Yeah, it's just what you said. It's just that, you know, you you really get so into these characters in some ways, in some places that you you do. I, I or that I have just felt kind of um, a little like kind of not underwhelmed, but kind of a little disappointed that I didn't see more of that thing. Like you said, with with a uh, Ruby story with the, with the potion, or you didn't see, you know, more of uh Gian stuff, like beyond the phone call with tick. Like you, you, you see more of her between seeing him and, and coming to, you know, where he's at, you know, there's like little things like that, like finding out what happened in those in-betweens and, and maybe we will. I mean, again, we've all agreed, like, you know, the episode eight is, <clears throat> is a really cool episode. There's an awesome, like, there's a great like horror scene with like, two little girls that just like are it was just amazing um <clears throat> following yeah. around um, it reminded me of bamboozled did either of you guys get sure. bamboozled vibes yes. from that it made yeah, me think yeah, i wonder if bamboozled which i always thought was kind of a was kind of a, a sloppy effort from spike lee but i wonder if that movie would play better now that people Absolutely. have dealt with some of those cultural ideas of what appropriation is and how damaging it can be i still don't think it would make tommy davidson into a great actor and i don't think it would make the the, the kind of video style that movie was shot in attractive to me but i think the themes yeah. of that movie would be more uh appreciated by wide audiences yeah. uh, in 2020 than when it came out you definitely had like yeah, that vibe definitely. mixed with like the the uh, like the the us stuff like the tethered like the way mm -hmm. that they were like the, the way they moved yeah. and looked but yeah not to give kind too, of mocking too, you too many too many things away but definitely recommend sticking with the show to where it's at i definitely i'm still a fan of the show um i just i really am excited to see where episode nine and ten go and uh yeah, yeah, that's the end of the. How is it going to resolve? It? That's what I've been wondering. That's actually what I was going to 
proposal you've yeah. got. How the hell is this thing going to resolve itself in two more episodes? I think I think we're going to see a resolution of the the with Christina Galbraith. I think we're going to see a resolution of that that immediate plot line that has to do with with Atticus and his role and whatever her plans are and what's going to happen to him. I think that's where the season's going to go. I think the broader story of of these characters and where everybody's going to land. I mean, obviously they 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 probably hope to milk this show for for years to come. So, yeah. um I would think that the main thrust the, there's a vision that sort of foretells the t- the future uh, of a certain character that that's in question right now, and I think that um, at the end of episode eight, that just got a lot more interesting. Yeah. But we still see uh, we still see like that question of what about that vision? What does it really mean? Um, and what is actually going to be the cost? One thing we haven't really mentioned is that Atticus has those middle seasons, uh, those middle episodes of the season were very like willfully destructive of his character yeah. in, a, in, a, in any sense of of admiring his heroism. He got taken to some pretty dark places. What did you guys think of that? I really think most of the characters on this show have something dark that they've done. I mentioned Ruby has that scene in episode five. Um, Michael K. Williams' character Montrose definitely has a couple of a couple of uh, marks on his ledger that are that are pretty dark. And Atticus, though, he's like a war criminal and a and a homophobe, and and he's got this violent streak. I, I think they've done a good job of revealing those things about him. But I think again, it wasn't until episode eight that I felt like they kind of started to rehabilitate him a little bit. But yeah, it's interesting to have a character who is so kind of tests your desire to see him as a hero. How do you guys think of that portrayal? And are, are you as interested and kind of conflicted as I am in, in like who Tick is? I mean, war war is ugly, man. And I guess when you, I guess I, I never thought about the idea that like people that I know that have gone over there and just been like very quiet about it, except to say that it was traumatizing. What happened in between that, you know? them leaving and coming back, you just don't know sometimes. Right. And um, it's rough, man, the, the, the just how, uh, you know, explicit those scenes were, how, how rough they were on the eyes and just, just how visceral they were. Yeah, very visceral. Um, I don't know. I feel kind of the, what you're feeling like, but I, I like the character a lot. I love, I would go so far as to say that I love his character, but yeah, man, that left me in a weird place. It was a, a rough thing to see, mm-hmm. you know, what he was doing over there. So, yeah. Another thing I wanted to just mention to you guys, I joked about it in our thread momentarily, but this is one of those HBO shows where it's just super naked. People just get naked. It's like full, full frontal nudity, like when possible, let's get. And I I do think that's like an HBO thing. It's like so many shows of this nature, we would be tempted to say, well, let's bring Henry in. He's watched some horror movies. He can appreciate these themes. But every episode, there's at least one, if not multiple scenes where I'm like, nope, this is why this is like a 15 and up show, which is what I used to feel that way about Game of Thrones, too, that it just like it's almost like HBO forces a certain amount of adult content into their shows to sort. But because they can. But it got me to thinking about the fact that like TVMA in the theaters I don't know they would get an R. I don't know that like an episode of Lovecraft Country would get an R rating for a theatrical release. I think they'd have to trim some of that explicit stuff. Do you guys know what all that feeling I'm talking about? That like HBO really goes for it, especially yeah. when you talk about violence plus sexual content. It's just, 
when they say adult, they, they really mean like, oh, we're going to, there used to be that joke about the HBO CEO of tits, you know, who like makes sure that all the shows have a certain amount in there. But if there's a character on this show and you're like, that's not the type of actor who takes all their clothes off, um, you might be wrong because the, <laughs> there, there might be a scene where they're running around butt naked. Maybe I'm the only person that notices this and thinks it's like, it's so extreme. But I mean, do you Why guys you, at all feel that way? When did you turn into such HBO? a prude, John? I know yeah. I'm such a prude. You can tell I'm so offended. I just think it's kind of funny yeah, when it happens. Yeah, it's like, nope, saying. they're going the full. No- oh no, this is a sex scene. Oh, we're gonna get like five full minutes of people like writhing on top of each other. When Ronald mentioned yeah. his first take of it being similar to True Blood, I felt like I knew what I was in for. Yes. <laughs> uh, also, every every woman that has sex in that movie, I mean, in that show. Does like the flash dance body arch before the water falls on them? Yeah. Everybody has sex like that in that show. I don't know why that's like, it's like a statuesque sort of thing that they try to. No, there's uh, like a pose that you can like be like, that way the, the camera can get like every facet of yeah. somebody's body. Yeah. <laughs> it's like fact, arch it, your back like this, yeah. basically. <laughs> to, to, like unnaturally so and against something so you have something to lean on and all of your. Yeah, and you're going to have tentacles shooting out of your orifices, too, by the way. <laughs> Jamie Chung, by the way, love, love her, her so much, man. So good. <laughs> Real world to this, man, like, I, know, I, right? I just can't. Like, she is a she is a star. This, this especially, like, like, she's got something, but this episode, what is it, episode six? Uh, it is, yeah. like, a reel for her. Like, she's, a, she's really, really great yeah. in that episode. Acting her yeah, ass she's off. So good. Everybody in the show is really good, though. Yeah. In oh, uh, the daughter in this in this new episode coming up, man, she's great in it. It's it no, there's oh, yeah. no Deep. weak links in this show. Um, Mike Michael K in everything. Uh, he has a snarl to him that I cannot get over, man. It's just like a hell you talk about, like just a real angry. <laughs> yeah, he's great. He's great. <laughs> he loves a cigarette. He loves a cigarette as well. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's what. Yeah, keep, keep it country. going. Love I guess country. we're Lovecraft. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we're all in. Uh, well, I guess maybe we'll come back and chat about how we feel the season wrapped up in in a couple yes. of weeks once we've once we've seen them all. So, absolutely. Well, the last show we were going to talk about, we talked to Jonathan Tucker uh, last week about uh, his appearance on the show Monsterland, and I actually, uh, if anyone's interested in hearing an interview with the author uh, Nathan Ballingrud whose short stories are the basis of the show Monsterland. I actually have that. It'll By the time this episode comes out, it'll already be up on my feed. So you can go to FYIZ on your favorite pod catcher and uh, find that show. That's a show called Skirt, uh, which is going to be running through October and it's going to have some, some cool authors on it, actually. So uh, um, listen up. But also fans of this show might hear uh, the, the lovely tones of, of Ronald and Steve on a future episode of Skirt. So, so check that out. But we love Jonathan Tucker. I love Nathan Ballingrud. How do we feel about Monsterland? You wish you could <laughs> say the same about the show, right? Well, I did stop short of, <laughs> of like following a certain rhythm there. I do think it's an interesting show. Yeah. I've seen other people express, whenever I see a show that I, sh- kind of what you said bef- before about Lovecraft Country, Steve, when I feel like I should love something, but I don't quite, I will read more, I'm more likely to read reviews for a project like that because I am curious, like what are other people saying? Right, right. And I've seen other people echo my, I guess my big thought about this is, this was a hard show to binge. This is eight hours. The episodes are long and kind of slow paced and they're very dreary by by design. This show is designed to kind of drag you through the sort of 
like the, a, like many characters who are living a very drab existence or a very upsetting existence. So I, I think that it is tough to sit down and watch eight episodes of this show uh, in a row. I did it over like a day and a half. Um, I, it's tough on me, but I think it's also a little tough on the show. This maybe should be consumed in our chunks and maybe then the tone wouldn't be so suffocating. But I found this show to be very like unpleasant in a way that was went beyond just the discomfort it was trying to create in me. Um, what did you guys think? Um, I don't have much to say, man. Uh, it was, it was a hard watch for me. Um, that's all I'll say. It was just very rough, like tonally just, uh, have, (laughs) when is, when has Ronald ever been at a loss for words, man? This is. I can't do you're, it. You're, 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 you're trying. Yeah, no. I, I feel it. it you're conflicted. I, I get it. Like, you, we wanted to like the show more than I think any of us did. Um, it, it's a very. It does move very slow. I think John's right. Like, if you broke this show apart and didn't binge it, it probably would be more sustainable, and you could probably enjoy the stronger episodes more if you did that. Um, which there are a handful of episodes that I think well we talked about before off the pod. Like that were definitely more enjoyable, stronger, better character development, just more interesting overall, or maybe just work better um, for the series. But as a whole, it, it definitely feels like a, like a bit of a slog, and it didn't really kind of move enough for me and really offer enough to um, not being familiar with you know the, the parts of the shorts that it's based on um, with the author that John speaks to on his other podcasts. Like it's just... It just there, there wasn't enough there to really kind of just entice me to even really want to get through all episodes. If I'm being honest, um, it really was something where I was happy I finished it because some of the episodes towards the end I did like. Um, circling back to you know our interview with Jonathan Tucker, like I do think that the the first episode is actually probably one of the better episodes that he's in with Caitlin Deaver. Um, so that definitely is. A good thing, um, and th- and that one is a direct adaptation right, from short, right. one of Nathan Balagrad's stories. I should I should mention to people that like the stories he writes, they do this thing of like overlaying the real world with the supernatural, and it's similar to the way that on Lovecraft Country you can say what's worse for these characters, racism or the the horrors that they're encountering. <laughs> right, right. Nathan Balagrad's stories do a good job of balancing that idea that you may end a story and say, oh, the, the more harrowing aspect of this was what this person is going through financially or what they're going through as a parent or what they're going through as a spouse. And the supernatural part is almost secondary to that. And I think the show plays that same game but doesn't balance it quite as well. And it just kind of is like, what if you took horror and you kind of drained all the fun right, out of it? Right. And I do think some balancing of fun with substance is where the best horror comes from. Uh, And I think Lovecraft Country has a has a pretty good balance of that stuff, like, you know, almost down to an episode. There'll be something that really hits that pulpy spot. Um, And yeah, I don't know. I just think Monsterland, it's almost like they they, the formula was a little bit off. It was a little too grounded in that way. and I think that, that when that balance is off, uh, it's not so great. But I will say that the best three episodes of the season for me were the ones that were more directly based on Nathan Balladgrud's uh, stories. Um, I also think an hour, maybe if these were half-hour episodes, they, they would all fare a little bit better. It really feels it's good, like it's they just point. slowed it yeah, down. It's a good point. There definitely is like a lot of – it's more than others, but there's definitely like a lot of bloat in a lot of these episodes where it's just a lot of like – just yeah. characters spinning wheels like just or re restating things that we've already 
talked about in the episode just to kind of maybe draw it out to be a longer episode. But, um, yeah, overall, not not a huge fan of the show, to be honest, and uh, was definitely looking forward to it a little more than I think it delivered for me personally. But, um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know, but definitely, yeah, I would still check it out if it's if it if it does seem interesting to you. If the trailers kind of got you, there's definitely some good episodes through the series, and um, I would definitely recommend still checking it out and see if it's for you. Maybe you like <clears throat> maybe the little more like a sl- slower kind of story like we're describing, um, but it does seem to be missing some of those more exciting elements of like the horror genre that we definitely obviously reply to or react to more, as you can tell in our podcast, but. Um, I don't know. Yeah, Monsterland's out now. Hulu. I think all the episodes. Yeah, all the episodes are bingeable uh, as of today. So, um, cool. Yeah. What else? What else we got? Yeah, check it out. Just take a walk. Do something you enjoy between each episode, and maybe uh, break it up. Like <laughs> impose a weekly, a one one once a week thing for yourself. Draw this out and go read Nathan Ballingrud's books. I would also say that too. That. The, the, your mileage may vary, but I think you'll enjoy the book more. There, I said it. <clears throat> See, I, could, I knew you could do it, John. <laughs> it's a safe space. You knew I could be the asshole who says the book's better. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I heard you say it a couple times, so I figured it was time to just put yeah. it put it on the pod. Yeah, right. So, yeah, we've got to wrap this up, but what, what else does anybody watch? Anybody want to give a, a quick mention to something? I don't have anything else. I watched a British comedy called Sliced. Two uh, uh, sliced in dead pixels, both British shows. Um, funny dead pixels is about an MMO. That's that's uh, pretty cool, and uh, it's a comedy. And sliced is a comedy as well. I've just been in the British stuff lately. Uh, sliced in dead pixels. Look up trailers for those. I think you'll enjoy them. That's it. Look up sliced in in uh, dead pixels on youtube first hey gangs of london is finally available stateside right i i, I can now dip into that or it's coming really right? where amc yes we can actually talk about it now. that's incredible man you, got, you you outlaws or your smugglers or whatever who've been talking about that show i didn't know they picked it up no oh, i think I, I knew it was coming out but they just announced it or they just is, is it already rolling steve do you know i i remember i just saw something about it the other day uh I don't know if actually it's all out. I did see that, <clears throat> excuse me, that AMC uh, has the release for it. Um, I know because they put the trailer out like the other day. Um, make its debut on Thursday, October 1st, exclusively on AMC Plus, AMC's new premier subscription bundle available on Comcast, oh, Dish wow. Network, and Sling. So, yeah. So, as of this so, recording, yeah, yesterday, it's, it's yeah. out there. Yeah. Yeah. You should have it. Yeah, Circle and Bag, that was a fucking awesome show. You guys should watch it. It was. Um, I wanted to say- I can't I, wait now, because you guys talked about how great the fight scenes oh were. Oh my God, John, they're amazing. Yeah. They're amazing. Um, I went back and watched Console Wars. Ronald, you recommended it last week. Oh great. yeah, what'd you Loved think? It. Great, super good. Um, I also wanted to recommend um, on Netflix last week, their new original film, Enola Holmes. What'd you think? I loved it. Okay. I mean, Great I heard good things. I mean, like I had no expectations, admittedly. I thought the trailer was super fun and light. And the movie is exactly the vibe mm. of the trailer. It's kind of effervescent. It just jumps. It moves quick. It's funny. It's it's witty. It's clever. You know, like much of these Holmes movies have been, whether it was 
Downey Jr.'s version or even Cumberbatch, whatever. But it's got its own voice, and it's cool the way they give her this story. And even with Sherlock Holmes being in the story. But, um, yeah, like Henry Cavill's great. Uh, Millie Bobby Brown is a star. We know that because of Stranger Things. And it's like yeah. it's great to see her do other things. And um, and just seeing kind well, this of, feels like the the ultimate brand expansion oh, of her. It's like it if, we, if, if you it love is. her, this feels like the first like real uh, Millie Bobby Brown vehicle. Yeah, everybody in it's great, and um, it's just it's just such a solid like I don't know, man. Like it, it it's it's one of the better like Netflix original movies. I think like from front to back, there's not many flaws in this movie, and this feels like a movie that really could have. It 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 feels like it's a little more of a slight release, but like. It could be a movie that was in a theater. You know what I mean? Like it's got that level of production, and it's 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 kind of fun. And the, and again, the cast is you know just just super well cast, and it's really fun. But yeah, she's. I wanted to just say about her that you know being able to see her in something beyond Stranger Things and seeing that you know she has a hand, and I think even in the production, like her um, her production company, which is called I think what is it called PCMA I think uh, she's like one of the producers on the movie basically what I'm trying to say and you know she's like this like powerhouse and I mean I really do think that if this movie does well or is watched a lot it absolutely feels like a franchise and um, it would be really cool to I I would say I'd be really excited to see more movies about this character and um just wanted to give a high recommendation to it. Like I was surprised how much I liked it, and um, not not really, but because I like everybody in it, but just because I didn't really know much about it, and it seemed to kind of trailer comes out and it kind of came out pretty quick, and um, just really good, man. Super super fun movie, and definitely recommend. I just wanted to put that on the pod officially because I loved it. Yeah, I've, I've heard really good things. Like I literally every person that I've seen talk about it, every review is glowing. It, it people seem to yeah, it's like, in like the ninety. She's like in the it's like in the ninety percent on Rotten Tomatoes too. Like it's well reviewed really? as well, and it's a super fun movie. Definitely recommended it. Um, yeah. So I just wanted to make sure I said that. Anola Holmes. It's on Netflix now. Yeah. So that that'll that'll do it, I think. And then next week. We'll be, we'll be back, like obviously. So we'll be back, and we're going to talk yeah. about Ted Lasso next week. Yes. We've been we've been ta- we've been kind of teasing that we all really love this show. It's the it's the blast of goodwill that you want in your life. Yeah, uh, you'll 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 cry a, a happy tear on almost every episode. Um, and I really think what they did with the penultimate episode of the season last week that you can really see where the where the finale needs to go. Yeah, it, like the storyline that it it needs to kind of put a bow on. Um, so yeah, and it's one of those shows where you, all the characters sort of like, I don't know, there's people, it's people trying their best to, to, to be good people to each other. Yeah. And I think that is, it's oddly compelling. I think after Shit's Creek just swept the, the Emmys and got so many people on its side with what a sort of good natured show that is, I kind of feel like Ted Lasso is, is aiming for that same spot of like, there so. are no villains on this show. I hope so. I hope you're right. We all love that show. So yeah, I'm excited to talk about that next week. Yeah, man. We're going to talk about some of our favorite moments and scenes and characters and all that good stuff. So yeah, Ted Lasso, if you haven't caught up, get on Apple TV Plus and in the next week, you should. <laughs> so you'll know what we're talking about. Please. Please do. And if we ask you what kind of lasso does, does Ted Lasso use, you'll know it's a trick question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. We can hit a button and they fall through the floor. Right. <laughs> 
Wrong. <laughs> just... you, you guys got anything else you want to throw in? Ronald, anything else? No, I think that's it. Uh, awesome. Not high. That's it for me. So recapping real quick. So Lovecraft, Lovecraft Country is airing now on HBO, HBO Max. Fargo Season 4 is coming out on FX, FX on Hulu. And uh, what else we got? Monsterland is Monster now Land. airing on Hulu as well. And we mentioned just passively from John bringing it up, AMC Plus apparently launching as you listen to this podcast, Gangs of London, finally. We talked about it on multiple podcasts, so you can check that out, too. And uh, Enola Holmes, again, is on Netflix if you are interested in that. That's good. Cool. Okay, that felt good. That felt really good. Uh, Movieshmovie.com is the website. Facebook.com slash Movieshmovie or Movieshmovie at gmail.com if you want to say, hey, feedback, ideas for shows. Maybe you're maybe you want to come on the show. I don't know. You should just maybe I don't know. I'm open to that if it's the right fit. Case for yourself. Yeah, like let's talk. <laughs> yeah. Um we we, yeah. we would love to do that. Um and whatever means you're listening to us, if it's on the Facebook post that we make, if it's on a, a snippet that you found on any of the other social media, if you're subscribed somewhere in a podcast platform, um if you can comment, like, review, star, whatever option you have to give some sort of feedback and or help us just amplify the fact that we exist. It would be really appreciated. And, um, you know, if we see it, we'll definitely personally thank you because that's just the kind of podcast we are. And um, other, other than that, we'll see you guys next week, next Friday. And uh, as always, you've made our day. Thanks. Bye. Hakuna Matata. That's what it was. That's what it was. Oh, yes. man. <laughs>